0: For the past six weeks, we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines, Uh, and I forgot to add in celebration and fellowship, I realized because I didn't preach that message, so I'll cover that, but we observe the Sabbath to bring our lives into that right rhythm with God. In other words, when we practice the Sabbath, we're centering ourselves around God. We study and meditate on His Word to bathe ourselves on Him, in Him to just let his word flow over us as we study, as we observe what he has to say, as we apply it to our lives, as we pray scripture. If you've joined us in our 90 days of prayer, you've noticed that we've been praying uh, 1 Corinthians 13 for about the past two weeks. Some of you might wonder, how much more love do I have in me to keep writing? Well, today was the last day. Uh, we're going to move into uh, probably the, Psalm, the 23rd Psalm starting tomorrow. But you get the idea. We pray the scriptures and they flow out of us. We practice silence and solitude to retreat, not to run away from our problems, but to surrender ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. To say, God, I can't do this, but you can. We fast to remember who sustains us, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We worship to honor Him. Worship isn't about a performance. Worship isn't about how well we sing. In fact, singing is just one of the myriad ways we worship the Lord. We worship the Lord by how we live our lives, offering ourselves as living testimony, living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. And today, one of the more confusing ones in the surface, even though it says it's simple, we're going to look at the idea of simply content. We live in simplicity to prioritize his ways in all of our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to let the scriptures do the heavy lifting for us today, as I I should, as your preacher. But I want to begin with prayer as we open our Bibles to the word of God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us an order to life that allows us to find peace, rest, strength, power, hope love, and justice in you and in no other place. Lord, may our lives tell your story today. Amen. If you brought a Bible, I want you to open up to First Timothy. Uh, we're going to start there and look at verses, uh, or chapter 6. Uh, verses 6 through 12, and then move on to 11, uh, or to 17 through 19, and then we'll pick up a couple other passages as a way. What we're doing today, there is much that is said about simplicity and contentment in the Bible, uh, and I dare not try to cover it all. In fact, I dare not even try to cover all of the New Testament. So really, we're going to highlight one man. His name is Paul, uh, and what he was giving is an advice, first to a pastor a guy named Timothy, uh, that Paul loved dearly and was mentoring in what it means to love the church and and to shepherd the flock. And then we're going to move on to what Paul had to write uh, to the church in Philippi. And we're going to throw in one uh, verse of what Jesus had to say about our treasure. And we're going to put these together to think about who Paul is or was and how the Lord was shaping his life through his journey of simplicity and contentment. And then what do we learn from that? 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Job learned that oh so well. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus asked the question, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And then Paul and Philippians continued on by saying, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. If you think about the life of Paul and what he's writing, he's cautioning Timothy as Timothy leads a church against those that practice religion and forget about a relationship. Just before that, in fact, all of 1 Timothy, there's the undergirding of guarding against false teachers, those that say and do all the right things, but their hearts don't show it and their actions don't speak to a relationship with a living and active God. And so Paul is cautioning against that. And instead of saying, do more, he's introducing us to the concept of a simple life that is centered on Jesus Christ. And that out of a life focused on Christ, we speak and we live and we model what it means to follow him. If you were part of, a, part of our four chair discipling class this morning, we talked about the, uh, the incarnation, the fact that Jesus lived, right here on earth as a man to show us that we too can live a holy life empowered by him and what he has done on our behalf but as we think about who jesus is how did jesus live as far as i know jesus didn't ride the rolls royce of horses in fact scriptures tell us he rode in on a donkey jesus didn't demand the best from everyone and he didn't demand royal treatment because he was the king Rather, time and time again, what is the picture we're given of Jesus? A simple servant. One who would lay down his life for his friends. And then he would go so far as to call his disciples and us his friends. Jesus demonstrated a life that was content. Paul, a man that had trained under the greatest religious leaders of the day. He went to all the best schools. He went to the best seminary. He studied under Gamaliel. All these big names and famous preachers and teachers of the day. Paul had everything to gain by being very religious. But what did he say? I consider it all a loss, but for the surpassing greatness Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord in other words nothing else matters save Jesus Christ for Paul life was really simple once Jesus got a hold of his heart it was all about him and every priority in his life would be ordered around who is Jesus and how am I living as Jesus lives and so as we think about a simple and a content life right now when I bring up the word contentedness, some of you are thinking about all the things you wish you could have or wish you could get or wish you could buy or wish was different. And so I want us to look at the idea of what simplicity meant throughout the scriptures. Uh, A guy named Chad Brand says it this way, simplicity is associated with ideas like integrity. Like instead of overcomplicating things, have you ever gone into a meeting and you've got that one person that needs to go over every detail when the idea is quite simple? You ever been to those meetings? Yeah, if you watch me in those meetings, my body language is not very polite and I apologize because I get frustrated. I'm like, just tell me what I need to know. I don't care about all the other stuff. But yet at the same time, I do it too. Simplicity is this integrity that says we're gonna keep the main thing the main thing. We're going to avoid evil. We're going to be generous. Our lives are going to be marked by a devotion to God and simply believing the gospel truth. The Psalms tell us that God is to preserve the simple. Now, sometimes simplicity or the simple was used in the Old Testament as a negative thing, but the idea of a simple life, uh, a, a peaceable life, is a different concept. That's a life of saying our lives are ordered around God. And we're not sitting here trying to build up a kingdom on earth. We're not sitting here trying to accumulate as much as we can because this is all there is. We've got a focus that's bigger and longer called forever, called eternal life. And that's ultimately what causes us to think simply about life today. Well, as we look at the life of Paul, listen to some of the things that he was learning. Uh, First, the scale of simplicity. What do I mean by the scale of simplicity? It's pretty simple. The scale of simplicity says that a simply contented life permeates every part of our lives. If we have learned to be content, we can be content in all things because Christ is Lord of everything. So the scale of which we can be content is comprehensive. There's no part of our lives which Jesus doesn't touch. So we can be content in all things where he has placed us. It breeds a contentment. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. I have learned to be content in all things. Uh, Older translations say in all circumstances. Now you and me might wonder, well, big deal. My circumstances are up and down, but not that much. But think about the life of Paul. He went from having great, being a religious leader that was so zealous he was part of seeing Christians or followers of the way as they were known then, being imprisoned and put to death, to being a guy that was imprisoned himself, was stoned, was bitten by a snake, was shipwrecked, was beaten to an inch of his life. And he says, in all of those situations, I've learned to be content. Notice the tense he uses there. I have learned, and in the Greek, I am continuing to learn. It's not overnight. One day, ooh, look at me. I've got everything, and suddenly I'm content. And that's great, right up until something else comes our way. Paul was learning more and more to rest in the Lord and to trust him with everything. And so he could be content the second thing we learn in the scale in the fact that contentment and simplicity are all encompassing is that simplicity builds confidence when we keep the main thing the main thing when our lives hid in jesus christ is the thing we chase more than anything else it builds confidence because we know that we can do all things through him who gives me strength right There is nothing we cannot do through Him. And the underlying meaning of that verse isn't that I can buy all the stuff I want because God will give me the strength and the resources I want to make that happen. It's No, my life is so in tune with the Lord's, my heart is aimed at His will that I'm gonna want what He wants. And He is gonna give me everything I need to accomplish His good, perfect, and pleasing will, and we've talked about that throughout this series, contentment and living simply says, Jesus, you're all I need. And I have confidence in you, even if I'm not very confident in myself. And I'm going to be content with the situations you've placed me in. Many of you have commented on my very uh, short haircut today. It was not supposed to be like this. Let me start there. And at $170, I expected way better. I went in to my salon, I'm not gonna name it by name, yes, I have a salon. And I went in, I said, I want it short and I want it a specific way. And I picked up my phone because I'd gotten an email. And by the way, this is nine days. So can you imagine what it looked like last week. And I happened to look briefly at my phone. I didn't move my head, so no, it wasn't my fault that I went like that or anything. And all of a sudden, right up the middle, and I thought to myself, what did he just do? And I'm looking, and I'm like, I'm a reverse Mr. T. And he just keeps going. And I look, and then the next thing I saw is, Jeez, the recession has hit my head and it's going further and further back and i felt the anger and frustration inside of me because i was specific in my instruction of what haircut i wanted and it was not this and then i thought for a second and i said well he can't put the hair back now can he What's gone is gone. My response will show him who I am. So for the next two to three weeks or however long it takes this to grow back, I have to choose to be content. No, I don't like my haircut, but thank you for your offhanded compliments. But it's what I got. And I didn't yell at the guy I wanted to. I just thought, well, he did his best. And if you notice real carefully, I've got a racing stripe right up the (laughs) middle. And it is what it is. We can laugh. We can find joy in all things. Little things, like the little hair I have left. Big things, like the situation our world faces apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not content to see people live their lives apart from Jesus. We are content to say, Jesus, you've placed us here for such a time as this, and we're going to seek to live as you have lived and died. And we will be content with the results that you bring, not just doing it in our own strength. Our confidence lies in Jesus Christ. Our strength lies in him. He can grow hair back. And he can transform hearts. But our hearts have to be oriented toward him and him alone. Will we trust in him to say, I'm going to live simply. The kingdom I'm building is not my own, it's his. Because what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? So we see the scale of simplicity and the scale of contentment are all encompassing. If we commit to living simple, to living with just what we need, we're assured that God will give us all we need. And his grace and his strength are sufficient to meet our every need. But that then leads us into action. It leads us into both word and deed. We can tell people we're content, but our actions should demonstrate a simple life. They should demonstrate a contented and a heart that's at peace. And as we see in the scripture, Paul is teaching Timothy and he's given the gospel and he said, this is the life you're to live in the truth. And as you do it, be generous and willing to share. Later or Earlier on in his life, Paul uh, tells us that we should aim not to own anything because it's all the Lord's anyway. And so we give out of the overflow of what God has given us. We're generous out of who he is and how generous he's been to us. And that shapes how we can live and care for others. Maybe not all of us in this room have a ton of money. But we have fellowship that we can give away. But we have a listening ear that someone desperately needs right now. But we have a gift of time that says, I'm going to force my way into your life and let you know you are loved and valued. That's generosity at its best. It's also giving out of what he's given to us financially and saying, Lord, I'm going to let you use what you've given me to further your work near and far. And I'm excited about what that might mean. And I'm going to partner with those wherever you've placed them to do whatever you would have me do. And I'm going to do it joyfully. Because remember the scriptures teach us God loves a cheerful giver as our lives are simplified down to, it's all for Jesus. We realize that we can just give everything away because it's all his anyway. And we can bless others by how we treat them. That's hard. I'm still learning that every day. I'm married, I have children, and right there, they see me fail on a daily basis and how I respond where my heart should be gracious and generous and it isn't always but we spur each other on toward love and good deeds and when we simplify things we don't always lament what we've missed out on we don't always lament on what we wish we had more of we rejoice in who god is and what he's doing in and through us right now isn't that a better way to live Because when we wish we had so much more, does that ever make us feel better? The only thing that it makes us better that we long for more of is a deeper relationship with Jesus. Every other thing goes unfulfilled somehow. Because if we get the newer, bigger flat, then we just wish we had a newer, bigger flat. If we get the right relationship fixed or in the right order, then we just wish this one over here was better or this or that or this or that. And we try to change it all the time. But when we've got that heart of generosity, we're just thankful that God has given to us a relationship with the Father through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we want nothing more than to give that away in tangible, physical, real ways. And we're known as a people that are generous. The rest of the stuff falls to the side. The cool thing about simplicity as it gets to material possessions, which Paul has addressed. He says, don't chase after money. By the way, he's not saying money is bad. He says it can be a root of all evil because it can become a false god to us. It can become, just as we talked about two weeks ago, one of those secondary idols of status, of approval, of success, of comfort, where we seek that over a healthy relationship with the lord money can be used to great benefit and great good, if we trust first in him but money should not control us and it shouldn't lead us to building a kingdom just on here on earth because when we have made it our aim to own nothing when we have aimed to live simply by the way this isn't me saying don't get nice things This is me saying, as the scriptures say, make sure we know who owns it and whose it is. Nice things can be a wonderful treat and a wonderful tool, but they shouldn't own the affection of our heart. The other thing that simplicity does, as you can see, is it increases mobility. A radical life of simplicity says that we're going to be ready to go wherever Christ may lead us. And if we've built such a kingdom here, it doesn't allow us the freedom that we've been called to to go wherever God has led. We have a new pastor on staff that's been here with his wife for just about two months. And when most people their age would begin thinking about retirement and things, they said yes to the Lord, sold pretty much everything they had, moved across the world, because God was leading them to serve with us here at AIC. How cool is that? And every time we asked about what they might need in their house, the answer was always the same from Pastor Stan or Marianne. We're content with whatever. God has led us and he'll provide. How awesome is that, that they're a part of our church family, that we can learn together? Who knows what God might have for you if you would say, Lord, here it all is. Take me wherever you want me to go i 'm ready. I want to give you a good picture of that. Some of you know the uh, Christy uh, Leitz and her family, and she 's written a book, and for the life of me, i can 't remember the name of the book right now. Uh, but in that book, something stones. <laughs> Somebody said it. Uh, but this is what she 's writing. She was living in a community in the Philippines, and then she moves on back to their time in Lisoland. Uh, and listen to what she says about the ideas that we're talking about here of mobility of contentment and of action and word and deed. Each of us, the expat community, could have what we were used to. The discrepancies bothered us, though, and we decided that that was a pattern we wouldn't follow. In other words, if you were an American, you drove an American car and had American stuff. If you were from Europe, you had a Land Rover and drove and did uh, uh, European things. If you were a local, you lived like the Filipinos, and, and it was all very stratified was the word, and she's explained that, and they were uncomfortable with that. She said, we felt that God was calling us to live as close to the level of the local people as was practical for us. We thought of Jesus' life. He was not born in the palace, though that would seem to be a more strategic place. He endured all the frustration and delay and condescension which confined the lives of the poor. And so he understood what it was like to be a human being on the bottom rung. If we were being called to incarnational ministry, sound familiar? Surely that would be part of it. Exposing ourselves to the same context which shaped our neighbor's lives. When we returned to China, we decided not to get a vehicle, but to use public transport, even though we lived in the middle of nowhere. Buses were few and often didn't have seats for us or wouldn't stop. We did wonder if this was the right decision, and we prayed about it. Shortly after that, Dave had to go to the county hospital to buy the kids immunization shots for me to administer at home. When he got there, the receptionist told him, we don't have them here. You'll have to go over to the communicable diseases clinic. Dave asked her where that was, and she gave him a brusque instruction on where to go. When she saw he still wasn't clear, she said, where are you parked? I'll show you. When Dave said, I'm not parked, I took the bus. Her attitude underwent a huge transformation. You don't have a car? You're a foreigner doing a project in the village and you take the bus? You're living just like them? That's amazing. Here, I'll take you there myself. She did and got them to work it into their lunch hour so that Dave could catch the afternoon bus home. That same week, the bus driver actually stopped the bus, turned around, and said to Dave, you're an educated person, probably an engineer or something. We Chinese get an education so we don't have to ride the bus with the common folk. You must really love these people. So we didn't get a vehicle. I read that story not to say cars are bad. They're not, I drive one. If you lived where I did, you would probably need to, although the MTR is great. But here's the thing. They committed to live as Christ had lived and they were willing to do whatever that meant. And for them, the best way to minister to the people they were teaching to farm sustainably meant to live as the people were living. Are we willing to do that? Or do we look more religious, where we look down on others around us that don't have what we have? A simple life is a life that says, Lord, it's yours. And I'm going to live as Jesus lived, content with whatever you provide for me. I'm going to enjoy the nice things you've given, and I'm going to give away as much as I can because you gave me everything. Would we do that? Mike, I want to do that, but I don't even know, I don't even begin to know how to do it. Well, that's why we have to take a look at our hearts. Oops, sorry. Here's your last question we want to look at our hearts because simplicity empowers ministry jesus told us that out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and i would add to that out of the overflow of the heart the hands will work the mind will think because out of the overflow of our heart, everything is done Because what our heart is affectionate toward, that's where our objectives lie. That's what we try to succeed in in life. And if our objective is to please God, loving Christ and loving one another and reaching the world, we will do that because he's our focus. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What does it matter if I gain the whole world but yet lose my soul? The reverse of that is it matters everything gain my soul and lose everything I have for the sake of Christ. I'm not saying he's calling all of us to lose everything we have. I'm I'm saying that Paul was inviting Timothy to give it all to the Lord and let him take care of it. I take great solace in the life of Timothy because Timothy had tummy problems. I get that. And I liked the medicine that Paul recommended for Timothy, a good glass of wine before bed. Good advice. But I also take solace in that as I've tried to learn to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ and be young, that I've been told, as Paul gave advice to Timothy, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but speak the truth, essentially, is what he's saying, and do it with confidence because of what God has already done. Be confident that he's enough, that he is all you need, that your heart and life are his and that he'll take care of you. I know some of you might come up with a million objectives of, what if I simplified my life? How hard would that be? Uh, You and Me Forever, the Francis and Lisa Chan marriage series, Francis tells a story and he also tells it in one of his books. I don't remember which one, but Francis came back from Africa on one of his trips and came home and looked around his house and felt very compelled that they had way too much stuff. We live in a world where stuff is awesome. And when our flats are too full, we rent out a private storage unit so it can hold more stuff, right? That's, that's the, the world we live in. And Francis came home and he said, Lisa, Lisa, we need to downsize. I think we should live in a home that's about a third the size of what we live in now. And I believe at the time she was pregnant with number five or number six, plus they were taking in kids from outside and from people to live with them. And he's saying to go from a home of nearly 3,000 square feet to less than 1,000 or less than 1,200 or something, which I know in Hong Kong is quite large, but most of us in Hong Kong don't have five plus kids. And, and, And Francis was just saying the stuff has become too much. The stuff has become the focal point. And Lisa wrestled with that, and she tells the story, that was hard, but I knew God was working in Francis's heart, and so we did it. We downsized. And she said, and we've never looked back, and we don't regret it for a minute. What are we holding on too tightly to? What can't we afford to let go of? Even if God was saying, take it, I'll take that, and I've got a better way. He never takes something from us to hurt us. He invites us to offer things to himself because he's got so much more in store for us if we would but trust him. He's got a ministry for us that would use every one of our gifts if we would but go where he leads. Godliness with contentment is great gain we gain a vibrancy to life that says, all I have is yours. And finally, simplicity demonstrates order. You woke up this morning and maybe you felt like the world was just going a million miles an hour. Everything was wrong. This person should have done this. I should have done that. I wish, I want, I need. And you just can't even take a deep breath. A life hidden Christ that has one ambition that Christ be exalted, Christ in all, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is a life that flees from all these things and pursues righteousness, that pursues godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So when the storms come, we're at peace. So when things go sideways, it's all the Lord's and he's got us where we want us, where he wants us. Two weeks ago, I was with a, a, a wonderful dear saint in our church uh, that had found herself in a, different, a, a difficult position. And it was one where we just had no idea how God was going to work. Mistakes had been made, but it seemed unfair. It was painful to watch. And we just wondered, Lord, what are you doing? And we prayed that day, God, help us. You've got a plan here. And after that, I remember this amazing woman looking at me, and she said, Pastor Mike, I trust. I know God's got this, and I will trust in him. And so we went off, and we continued to correspond, and I checked in on how she was doing, and then I went off for a holiday week with my wife. And and on Wednesday, I heard from her again and said, you'll never believe it. God took care of everything even more than I could have imagined. And there was no reason that that should have been possible. There was no reason that it should have worked out the way it did. In fact, that wasn't even any of the scenarios anyone had given. But my God shall supply all our needs according to his glorious riches. That dear woman said, I will trust in him. And if it means I got to go, I'll go. If it means this, I will trust if it means that i will rest and in the end god gave her more than she could have ever dreamed possible what about us what are we holding on so tightly to is it control like we talked about a couple weeks ago is it that need for approval is it that need for our stuff or our success or our status or to other people to see how many letters we can get before and after our name Or is it as we sing, in Christ alone? And he is enough. You see at the bottom of your sermon notes, I ask the question. And I pray that as this series comes to an end, and as we ask God to order our lives around him in every single way, that we would be simply content with Jesus Christ. That we too, like Paul, would be able to say, I am content in all things, for I consider everything a loss, but for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So I invite you today, ask the question, how do our lives show that Christ is all we need? How do our lives demonstrate to to others that he is enough? Let's pray. Lord, you came. You lived a victorious life that was most unexpected and then you invited us to live a life modeled after how you've lived here on earth. Lord, teach us to be simple. May our lives be built around bringing glory to your great name as we grow in love for you and love for one another. And Lord, allow us to be a generous church that reaches the world for you. Today, please help us to look at what you've provided and say, thank you. You're all I need. In your name I pray, amen.